Conversations with Bob McAvoy on the Semper Reformata podcast. So with me today in the studio is Janet Clark, senior nurse, wife, mother, and a very competent reader of theology. And Janet's here to talk about spiritual gifts and the charismatic or Pentecostal doctrine of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And she's speaking today from the perspective of a former Pentecostal believer. So, Janet, welcome. Hi, Bob. Glad to be here. But I do think you, you flatter me with your introduction there. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Janet, the rumour is that you were once dubbed the most Pentecostal woman in Ireland. So how on earth did you manage to be awarded such an amazing honour? Well, I do think that's maybe a tad too far. Okay. Um, but yes, I was fourth generation Pentecostal. Okay. And personally involved for 45 years. And I used to joke that if you cut me, my blood would come out saying Elam. Right. But and that's the church you belong to. That's the church I belong to. And me. Yeah. And I would say I would have defended Elam to the bitter end okay. all through my life. I was okay. brought up mainly conservative Elam, with strong men in leadership when I was young. And all this falling down and excessiveness didn't wash with me okay. until, guess what, it happened to me. All right, okay. It happened to me. You actually fell for it? I actually fell for it, yes. Okay, okay. very good. Suddenly, people were saying tongues of fire in my head. Mm-hmm. Words about how mightily I would be used in prophecy, mm-hmm. the whole nine yards. And guess what? I was actually allowed to pray in spiritual warfare meetings okay. because my prayers actually moved heaven. Right. Can okay. you believe that? I, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't either now, but then I thought it did. Okay. And I was even awoken at three o'clock in the morning with thoughts to write down. Uh-huh. And even at that time, in the midst of it, I used to think, God, why are you doing this at three o'clock in the morning? Is this not the witching hour yeah. whenever demonic forces are at their worst? But I was told to embrace this new move, or I'd miss it, and I would end up dried and withered, and boy, I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. Well, Janet, you're not a Pentecostal now. You had a kind of a spiritual awakening, if I could call it that. And you kept a journal and allowed me to read it, and it was a very interesting account of how you began your journey away from Pentecostalism into what is now a more Reformed understanding of Christianity. So I'm just going to raise a few of the issues, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. that we had uh, read in your in your journal. For example, you made a link between the modern charismatic beliefs and mysticism. Can you explain what that means? What is mysticism? And, and why is it that you felt that you had been involved more in a mystic religion than a biblically grounded form of Christianity? Well, if you'd asked me about mysticism, I would have just said, that's Roman Catholicism. They had their mystics all down through the years yep. and saw visions like Lourdes, the woman of Fatima or Magigori, etc. Um, so this was a bit of a shock to me. Mm-hmm. And whenever I researched into mysticism, which is basically the belief that we can't know God except by an unusual experience, which means leaving your rational faculties 
mm-hmm. behind mm-hmm. and believing that you can actually tap into divine power using prescribed techniques which that is the only thing I ever read in the Bible. So it was a bit of a shock. But Pentecostalism, specifically through its experiential theology and its levels of spirituality, is actually mysticism. Mm -hmm. And the emphasis is then placed on experience as truth rather than the word. And recently, which you have now quoted in Church, Bob, that I found it written down that where is God's presence? And... Pentecostalism f- says that you can feel his presence tangibly. Mm-hmm. Roman Catholicism says his presence is in the bread and the wine. Mm-hmm. And the reform belief basically is that it's in the spoken and preached word because mm-hmm. that's a living organism. Mm-hmm. And that's what God has ordained, that it's through the preaching of the word. And um, so it was all a bit of a shock, this mysticism. Well, this kind of mysticism, it seems as if Pentecostal people are continually looking for the next big revelation. There's always something new coming along, isn't there? You're always kind of striving to get to the next level of faith, to get to a higher level in your Christianity. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, that can't be... That can't give you any real rest for the soul, can it? No, Bob, in fact, it's totally exhausting. Right. (laughs) You keep striving. You keep getting to this precipice Mm -hmm. through sacrificial worship, Mm -hmm. through praying under an open heaven, Mm -hmm. speaking in tongues, Mm -hmm. going to spiritual warfare meetings. But you never... Ever get over this precipice? Uh To what I don't know, because I never got there, and I don't know anybody that has. But you see, now I can actually rest in the finished work. It's finished. Yes, you don't need to stray. I don't have to do anything. Exactly. Jesus did it all. Amazing. And you see, now I've never been so chillaxed in my life, because Uh I have nothing to do. There's nothing more than Calvary. And it was all done for me. And there isn't anything greater than salvation. Mm-hmm. There is nothing more than that. Yep, it's wonderful. And there was a hymn that resonated with you and your new understanding. Um, Augustus Toplady's famous hymn, Rock of Ages. And in your journal, uh, I read that you quoted, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Why did that hymn just appeal to you so much? Well... Once I had realised about mysticism and all that, I then knew that I'd been in a work salvation-based movement. Mm-hmm. And I may as well have been a Catholic. And then realising the devil loves it. Yeah. Because it takes the focus off Jesus yeah. and puts it completely on the person that's doing the, the doing yeah. by praying tithing, worshipping, yep. praying in tongues. So that then, that line came alive to me. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing I bring, it's all due to Calvary. Mm-hmm. I contribute nothing yep. to my salvation and Jesus contributes everything. Now I know that's monergism. Didn't yep. know that then, those yep. big words, as opposed to you synergism. Learn these things. <laughs> but that's... You get a whole new vocabulary. But the thing is, Pentecostals and Charismatics, they sing that hymn too, don't they? 
Surely it speaks to them the way it spoke to you. But I'd sang it for years, Bob. Yeah. Sang so it, I. played it, you name it. Um, and they do believe it because I would have swore I believed all that note in my head, but it didn't resonate in my life. Yeah. And they're just the same. I would have, be- I would have argued that everything I believed was sola scriptura. Yeah. The word, but in reality, experience trumped the word. And that's yeah. just where Pentecostals are stuck. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I noticed was that in back in, in early days in ministry, people would have come to me and said, you know, why do you not enter into the worship the way others do? Uh, you don't seem to be as spiritual as other people. How do Pentecostal people measure someone else's spirituality? Well, now, that's another dichotomy in Pentecostalism. What you preach isn't what you do. They do preach correctly. That everybody is equal under God, Jew, Gentile, mm-hmm. Greek, everybody is equal. But in reality, they hold to a different measuring stick. And that measuring stick is the more gifts you operate, the more spiritual you are. And if you have words, visions, dreams, no matter how ridiculous they are, for example, at the end of my time in Pentecostalism, Somebody actually used the Lion King as a method for giving a prophecy. Okay. And I did sit in the meeting thinking, my goodness, Lord. Strange. Is there not enough words in the Bible? Yeah, to make That you have to now use the Lion King? Exactly. Um, I remember back in my teenage years, or just ending into my 20s, there was a deacon's election and a certain man had won the election. And I wondered why. Um, because I don't think he was at all suitable. But when I asked one of the other folks in the church about it, the reason that they told me he had won was because he could marvellously move in the gift of tongues. Oh, yes. You know, oh. and they assessed his spirituality. What a by criteria. The, yeah, by the fact that he had this What about gift. his life? Well, we can't go into that. No. no. <laughs> but let's move on to spiritual gifts since we've been talking about speaking in tongues. Um, I mean, in Pentecostalism, you were exercising what you genuinely believe at the time were spiritual gifts. Now, I know that we nowadays in Reformed Christianity, we understand spiritual gifts to be the good things, the good gifts that God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, gives to his church. Godly church leaders, gifted musicians, people who have the gift of administration, anything that blesses the church is a wonderful gift from God. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of Light. But that's not what Pentecostals mean when they talk about spiritual gifts, sure it's not. No, absolutely not. Uh, when they're talking about gifts, they're talking of the nine gifts of the Spirit, which is prophecy, healing, words of knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues, faith, miracles, wisdom. Well, wisdom wasn't displayed much. Um, and those having the messages... Like, you know, Bob, when you see them, they look like something from a different mm-hmm. world. They mm-hmm. look mad. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, as I, I've sort of mentioned before, their lives didn't match up. Didn't match up sure. to this so called spirituality. Yeah, yeah. And there's something wrong there. I mean, I remember talking to an Elam pastor one time and he had mentioned, and we were having a conversation about a brother minister 
who had fallen badly by the wayside. And um, he said to me, but you know, you get this in every church. It doesn't matter what church you look to, you're always going to get somebody who drops out, somebody who commits some dreadful sin, some moral indiscretion. Mm. You're going to get that in every denomination. And I thought about that for a minute, and my reply to him was, yes, but we're the people who are supposed to be filled with the Holy Ghost and power. Exactly. And they're not. Yeah. That's what I always thought, naively. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, surely your life should be more attuned and more sensitive to the sin in your life. Yeah. But that's not what I ever witnessed. No. No. It seems that the Holy Spirit in Pentecostal circles, instead of making you aware of your sinfulness and if causing you, you to trip. repent, it, it seems as if the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make you think you're perfect That's and right. you don't need to repent. It's an ego I've trip. i heard people t- saying, mm-hmm. I don't need to repent. I repented when I was saved. Yes. And I am filled with the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. When I was a teenager, I went to a very moderate, controlled Pentecostal church. And yet, Every Sunday morning before communion, we had in this church something that was called open worship. I would say euphemistically called open worship. And time was given for the exercise of these so-called spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, what happened every week was that people got themselves a bit overexcited. They shouted and roared in what they thought was an unknown tongue. It just sounded basically like gibberish. And we, the younger people of the church sitting back and looking at that, I suppose with an air of scepticism. We often called it the time of prayer and total confusion because that's what it often turned out yeah. as. Did you have worship services like that where you were? Oh, yes. Um, like you, Bob, when I was young, it was controlled. Yeah, You had strong men. And in fact, people who got up to give a message were often told to sit down. Because yeah, it yeah. wasn't a message that we're, we're giving. Yeah. Um, latterly, my time in Elam, anything went. In fact, if the Holy Spirit was manifesting how you knew, it was just a cacophony of noise, whether it's people just speaking in tongues, shouting to be the loudest person, walking around the church on a prayer march, falling down, um, words all over the place, um and the the scary thing is then they would dispense with the preaching. Yeah. Because let's just enjoy the presence. Yeah, because I've heard that. God is here uh-huh. and he wants you to enjoy him. Mm-hmm. And I used to think, but the Bible says signs follow preaching of the word. And um, you know, these people were let loose as far as I could see, with their questionable theology, their doctrines and holiness, and I always thought Bob even in my most steadfast days, you come to this church to get to go on an ego trip that what you don't get in the in the world really in work, you come to church and there's nobody questions you and you're you're super spiritual and you can get on the platform at a whim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you and if you, the more spiritual you appear uh-huh. The quicker you're go- you're yeah, brought up absolutely. to to minister, absolutely. Uh, you to, don't have to, to prove people. yourself if you can speak in tongues, exactly. And your life can basically be any way it mm-hmm, wants mm-hmm. if you can do that. Pentecostals 
believe that these spiritual gifts are only for those people who have been, and I quote here, baptised in the Holy Ghost. Now, what's that? And when does it happen to a Christian in Pentecostal understanding? Okay, this is where it gets good. Good. <laughs> this is the bit we've been waiting for. <laughs> this is the good bit. Basically, you're taught in Pentecostalism that you get really just a measure of the Holy Spirit at conversion. Okay. Maybe just enough to cover your sins. Mm-hmm. But there's more. There's more, there's more. Uh, if you want power to live, power to witness, power to overcome sin, you need to be overflowing and baptised in the Holy Spirit okay. with the evidence of speaking in tongues so that you can attain this next level. And this is all achieved by the laying on of hands. Mm-hmm. And you're encouraged to say simple sounds. You are. There's a technique to it mm-hmm. and um, a formula. You say simple sounds and you keep repeating them and repeating them until God finally takes over. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. bam, you're in this club. I remember going to a meeting like that in my early days, in my teenage years uh, in Belfast. I was encouraged to go to it by friends and a group of us went in and people around us were starting to speak in what was said to be speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. This pastor put his hands on my head Mm -hmm. and he, obviously nothing was happening, um, and he said to me, so I'm going to say a few words in my tongue Mm -hmm. and and you just try that Mm -hmm. and then God will give you your tongue. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced anything? Isn't that a sheer fraud? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if God's going to give it to you, it's a gift. Yeah. So there shouldn't but be shouldn't any hard be work involved. Up. Sure, they used to be called tarrying meetings. That's the kind of thing I was talking it about. it was such hard work. Yeah. And you could have tarried all night. You had night. to tarry for the spirit. Tarry for the spirit like you sure. were in the upper room. But that kind of creates, doesn't it, a kind of two-tier Christianity. You're talking about how in Pentecostal thinking, whenever you're saved... You're given this tiny measure of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and you have to, that has to be augmented mm-hmm. by a kind of second blessing. And there are genuinely people who believe that, but it must create a kind of two tier Christianity. Those who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and those who haven't. Now, here's what I'm trying to get at here. As a person filled with the Holy Ghost, when you were in Pentecostalism, what was your attitude of those who were in non-Pentecostal churches, you know, did you not, did you think of them, look at them and think, well, they're second class Christians? Yeah, well, there's one word, superiority. Okay. You would have looked down on them, Bob. Okay. Because you used to think, those poor people, if only they had the experience that I've had of uh-huh. the baptism and the Holy Spirit, their Christianity would be, so, yeah, would hmm. be so much easier. Yeah. They would have this real experience with God and they wouldn't be stiff or stayed in their Christianity they would get liberty and freedom in their worship and their service and in their lives and my goodness their life would just be wonderful. Yeah and was it wonderful? I mean for you personally when you were thinking this and looking at them you know was your life heavenly perfect? No, because no. I'm on earth, Bob. Right? Be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you still thought you had more than these poor people 
that yeah. didn't have the baptism. Yeah. And my goodness. Even though you could see imperfections in yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You're brainwashed. Yeah. I spent my teens in Pentecostal churches. I had a good time. I, had, I mean, I had a, I had a great teenage. Mm-hmm. Youth, you so know, and I enjoyed had good friends, and we ran about together. Mm-hmm. We went to church together. We went to the prayer meeting. We went to the Bible study. Went to the youth fellowship, mm-hmm. and of course, we ran around the country singing Ghetto. and mm-hmm. playing instruments and witnessing and evangelizing. And then I went in to ministry in a Pentecostal church. Very, very early in that ministry. In fact, within the first few months of it, I was challenged by an old Christian, an older brother in the Lord, a Pentecostal man, and he urged me to read very carefully 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. So here it is. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. And he challenged me with that. And no matter how I read it, even then, even as a Pentecostal, I could come to no other conclusion that a believer is filled with or baptized in the Holy Spirit at regeneration. And that it's a work of the Spirit that is common to all believers. Now, it took me a good long while to get the courage to act upon that conviction. Is that where you are theologically at the minute? You're that same position where you think that the Holy Spirit fills the believer at regeneration. Well, I had to accept that. And that was a revelation with a capital R. Um, I always couldn't understand if the Holy Spirit was power for living, power for service, how did the Baptists, the Presbyterians, etc., sent missionaries out, exactly. have um, conferences and people got saved and they seemed to go into those churches and actually stay a Christian and like keep going on the way? And the strange thing is, talk about missionaries. I mean, the early the, the missionary movement, William Carey and those folks, you know, that began world missions and as we know them today, those were all. Reformed people. Uh-huh, yeah. You were know, Calvinists. Uh-huh, yes, yes. Um, but as I said, early in my life, I couldn't understand it. And, you know, again, as I've mentioned, if the Holy, the baptism in the Holy Spirit was a gift, why did you have to strive for it? Um, but then I read Acts as Pentecostals take as a doctrinal book. Mm-hmm. But I read it without my Pentecostal glasses on. And my girls, uh, it was amazing. It was just what it says, a history of the acts of the apostles, not the acts of believers, the acts of the apostle. I'm not an apostle, so I can't possibly do those acts. Uh, It's very simple reading when the Bible used to be difficult. Mm -hmm. John, it's been a brilliant conversation. But just finally, um, thinking of ourselves nowadays as Reformed Christians, I mean, I'm challenged by this because I have friends who are very sincere Pentecostal mm-hmm. Christians. Um, and I absolutely love them in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And how do I regard other believers who hold a Pentecostal perspective on the doctrine of the Holy Ghost? I know it's hard to generalize. I mean, think of Pentecostalism. It's, it's everything from ecumenical 
charismatic Catholics, all the way through to our friends who are traditional Bible-believing, mm-hmm. gospel-preaching, classical Pentecostals. Some of these folks um, are are the same as us in, in their in their soteriology. They're they're sound Trinitarians. Some of them are are, are Calvinists. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we not think too of them? No, not too many nowadays, but there are some. But how do we think of these brothers in Christ? Um, do well, we do it the same way as the Pentecostals used to think about? us about Presbyterians and Baptists and Calvinists do we think of them as having a lesser experience than us surely not no they don't have a lesser experience if you take me for example I maybe was one of the elect but didn't know it really until I became reformed and I just sort of think a lot of people in Pentecost are saved but they don't actually know it yet you know, because they're they're not getting the right teaching um, and Calvinism yes the doctrines of grace the attributes of God is the actual gospel in a mm-hmm. nutshell it mm-hmm. might be given those titles and then you come into the the realisation I, I can testify to this when you become a Calvinist into these realisations the coin what you call a cage stage and where you really should be locked up because you've been enlightened and have found all this truth and you want everybody yeah. that you so you're telling to, everybody <laughs> to come to the exact place you are exactly. and um, sometimes you're just too eager and you can rub people up the wrong way um, but if like me and people are earnestly seeking the truth. God will lead them in the truth. Mm-hmm. And he'll make a way. And God's timing's perfect. That's what you have to always remember. I have to always remember that. Because I probably wouldn't have been ready for this before my time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't have listened to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Calvinism was a heresy in Pentecostalism. Oh my to goodness. Some oh, well, any Pentecostal <laughs> church I was in, Calvinism okay. was a heresy. Okay. But what we need with these people is patience, kindness, love, and understanding. Yeah. But that's the fruits of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. not the gifts. Mm-hmm. And they emphasize the gifts and they over the fruit. Over the fruit. Yeah, that's what I found. Mm-hmm. Well, Janet, that's fantastic. Um, one of the things I noticed in your, in your diary, in your journal, was that later on in it, you had traced the roots of the so-called Toronto blessing. Mm-hmm. And you'd done a wee chart, and I was really pleased with that diagram. I, I was impressed, but I even scanned it and kept it. And the reason I did that was that I thought that maybe it would make a great topic for another mm-hmm. conversation absolutely. in a couple of months' time. Mm-hmm. Would you come back and do it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> great. Janet, thanks again for joining me for this special edition of the podcast and let's just hope that the listener has found it really really helpful thank you for listening if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device then search for the Semper Reformata podcast. Subscribe and give it a five-star rating. See you next time.